Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 111. My guest is Dr. Libby Weaver joining me shortly, and it is a gorgeous conversation. I first came across Dr. Libby's work, as many of you did, um, with her wonderful TED Talk a few years ago, and it, it was about that comparison between what cave woman had to do, deal with in her day-to-day and what the modern woman deals with in her day-to-day and how it is impacting female biochemistry, how it is contributing to some of the issues we find in our health, uh, chronic disease, uh, weight gain, and all sorts of other um, little issues that we we have crop up in our lives in this um, busy modern world. Uh, Dr. Libby's a PhD. She's one of Australia's leading nutritional biochemists and author, speaker, founder of the plant-based supplement range BioBlends, which is a beautiful quality product. Uh, And what I love about uh, Dr. Libby best is her ability to not only be enthusiastic as a scientist on these topics, but communicate right to the heart of other people as to why they should care about what goes on in our bodies as well. And I think that is such a gift. There are many, many smart people who unfortunately can't actually share their gifts in a way that helps other people adopt the teachings in effective ways. But I think Dr. Libby does such an incredible job of doing that because uh, there are very few people I've come across that speak from the heart in the way that Libby does. So it's an absolute pleasure to have her on the show. Today, I just wanted to mention that we're counting down now to the last round live of Go Low Tox for the year. For those of you who are new to the podcast or new to the Low Tox Life community, uh, Go Low Tox is the course I created to help you get every nasty out of your day-to-day life in terms of um, everything from makeup to skincare to hair care to cushions to pillows to mattresses, sheets, uh, oh gosh, chopping boards, uh, EMFs. uh, I could go on and on and on. 17 huge topics and four beautiful topics for the mind on our chill out Sundays as well, where we do a little meditation and have a break from all the knowledge that we cover from Monday through Thursday during the week. Uh, It is a powerful course. Um, uh, People have asked me how it's different to the book. Well, the book is a wonderful overview guide of lots of things you can do. I mean, it is packed, uh, the book, if you haven't read it yet, Lotox Life, available worldwide. But what we do in the course is really coach you know, what I'm passionate about most is helping people through the journey of really understanding what we're trying to achieve here and making better choices for us and the planet and to really help people feel that once they leave that course, they can pick up an ingredient list anywhere in the world and make an informed and intelligent choice. Um, and that's through workshopping labels. Hey, Alex, you know, I just wondered about this sun cream. I'm not too sure about this ingredient. I can't find enough information online. Can you help me through it? And we coach, coach, coach right through all of those little doubts and worries live over the 35 days so that you come out at the end really feeling like you don't need someone on your shoulder every three seconds to help you discern whether an ingredient list is right or not. Not to mention, uh, we now have the most extensive international uh, list of uh, resources in the course, um, a very fully referenced UK list and lots of places you can um, go to for shopping through Canada to um, the United States, uh, France uh, and a couple of other country uh, options there so that people can connect to their local low-tox resources. The chat group is amazing. It's incredibly supportive to find yourself in a group of intimate, in an intimate group of people who are all on the same journey as you at different stages. Everyone from beginners right through to people who've been at this making changes for years and years and just refining some of their knowledge, making sure they're not getting caught out with any greenwashing or um, brands telling porky pies. That's um, British for lies. <laughs> and um, and I, I, it's just, it is my greatest body of work yet, I, I I still remember the 360 people that joined me to do it the very first round, um, and this is the 12th round, 
uh, and we've been doing it for four years now. That is crazy. It is our fourth birthday with this course. So join the two and a half thousand people who have um, made the choice to go through the course and really take a good look at everything we bring into our homes, put on our skin, surround our children with, um, and, and start to feel more empowered about those better choices, not just by choosing differently, but having the power to have more yeah, important conversations with our loved ones, with schools. Um, a lot of good stuff gets done, especially once you transition through to the alumni group and um, keep the conversations going. So Go Low Talk starts very, very soon, 29th of October. I do hope you will join me for this last round of the year. This is your last chance to do it this year. And uh, let's kick some goal together. All, all the details are on the show notes. I also wanted to remind you that uh, Republica Organic is our show supporter and uh, you have the chance to win a year's worth of coffee. How is that not a good idea to enter, right? And all you need to do is pop to the show notes, go to the comments, pop me a little note and let me know that you'd like to win a year's worth of coffee and it could well be yours. It's already been won by two people this year. So there's a high chance someone's winning them. Why not you, right? And thank you, thank you, thank you to the wonderful Fair Trade Organic Republica um, uh, brand for providing the Lotox community with a permanent 30% discount off their online store. All the details in the show notes, um, unless you just want to go to Republica Organic straight away and Lotox30 is your code for the Aussies. Um, but it's extremely generous of them to do that for us. Um, for people who are still using pods in their home, at least you have a biodegradable organic fair trade alternative in Republica and you can buy a minimum of six um, packets at a time. So it economizes you on shipping um, and and all that good stuff as well. Um, but if you want to just pop into a store, you can get Republic Organic at uh, all major supermarkets. Um, they have my favorite blend to offer our guests here at home is the ground coffee, the Timor. Um, people always rave about that one and, um, and enjoy it. So have a look out for that one as well if you think you're trying a new coffee and you've got a proper coffee machine. Um, not poo-pooing pod people, but, you know, proper coffee machines kind of rock. So um, I will uh, I'll leave you there on all those sorts of little topics. Please make the most of that wonderful 30% off. Please join me for Golo Talks. It is the last chance to do it this year. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Libby. Enjoy. Libby, amazing to have you here today. How are you? Alex, thank you so much. It's a joy to be joining you on your podcast. Ah, oh, so good. And, you know, we have known each other online for a long time and we caught up briefly uh, when you were speaking for Business Chicks over in New York, which is a super exciting um, place to, to catch up. Uh, and uh, I've been following your work for years and years and to bring your beautiful voice to this show at last is such a joy. Um, well, it's a mutual it's a mutual love festival, Alex. Because oh. what you're doing for the world is is so needed, and I really acknowledge and honour that. So, thank you. It's a oh. two way street here. Thank you. Um, and I guess I wanted to start today by kind of having a little bit of a chat about how dis I discovered your work, which was one of those good old fashioned viral shares of a TED talk that friends do from time to time, and it was your TEDx talk. And I, it really resonated straight away. I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. This is the conversation women everywhere need to be having about what we are faced with in modern day times compared to what cave woman was faced with. And it kind of laid the foundation for um, your Russian women's syndrome book and the general awareness you've spent years and years raising um, on, on that issue. So I thought we could start there if you're okay to indulge us for whoever's been under a rock <laughs> and perhaps not come across that TED talk. I've definitely popped it in the show notes today for everybody to grab and, um, and sit down with a cuppa and watch. But um, how did you come to uh, to study those two compar those two different women in those two very different times? 
So uh, I guess the rushing woman syndrome, I think it's important listeners know too that it's not a medical condition. It was just the name I gave my book back mm. in 2011. Uh, and it was born out of my observation of an enormous change in women's health. So uh, I'd worked with patients one-on-one, -on -one, I've worked with them for 20 years, and I saw a dramatic change uh, about 12 or so years ago now. And uh, women would burst through the doors of my office. They'd tried to cram a huge amount in before they actually got to their appointment and the changes in their health were becoming more and more dramatic and uh, more and more severe and, and more debilitating. So it, paused, it, it led me to pause and just consider why is this happening and why are there so many uh, hormonal challenges, for example, presenting now for women. And the way I tend to explain it, Alex, is that science suggests that humans have been on the planet for about 150,000 years to 200,000 years, although I think that's going to get blown out of the park really soon because they've found some artefacts in China that have been carbon dated to be, um, have been made by human hands and they're more than a million years old. So look That's yeah, exciting. So look it is, isn't it? So look out for what's coming. Um, but anyway, let's, I'll just stick with this original concept to to explain this point about rushing woman syndrome and our cave woman biochemistry. So I get people to visualize that 150,000 years is being represented by a 30 centimeter school ruler because I think we all remember what those they look like. <laughs> Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the smallest mark, the smallest unit of measurement on that school ruler is one millimeter. So if the school ruler at 30 centimeters, if that represents 150,000 years, one millimeter represents 500 years. Mm -hmm. So if we now fast forward and consider the rate of change we've undergone in the last 30 years, my point is it would be like a pinprick in, in, in its size on that school ruler. So comparatively, the 30 years is the tiniest drop in the ocean in an amount of time compared to the enormous amount of time as a species we've been on this planet. Mm. And we and we have undergone such rapid rates of change. So much has dramatically changed in the last 30 years. Let's consider some of that. It wasn't that long ago that when we left the house, no one could get hold of us. I'd actually like to reinstate that. <laughs> oh, my that. God, how good would that be? Yeah. <laughs> uh, People actually had to turn up to things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And also there was down to, you know, from when you left the house to when you got to wherever you were going, you could observe nature, you could be present with your own thoughts and reflective. And yeah, so so, so much has changed just, you know, even with, with those moments where we were uncontactable. Um, social media is only just over 10 years old. The food supply has changed dramatically. When you think about the school ruler concept, uh, it wasn't that long ago where we were literally hunting our food, foraging for our food, otherwise we didn't have any food. And then if you also think about what's happened for women uh, in the very, very recent past, when I was doing the research for that TEDx talk back in 2014, I came across an American postage stamp uh, that was released in 1939. And it was a caricature of a, a woman and she was flexing her bicep and flexing her arm. So a bicep was popping out and the statement on the postage stamp said, we need you. So that was really the first time that women were called into the workforce in any great number uh, because all the men had gone to war, and that's not even 100 years ago. So when we consider that that wasn't even 100 years ago where so much changed for us, it, the way I'd like to phrase it is it wasn't that long ago in human history where we as women were given the opportunity to do what had up until that time traditionally been our father's jobs, and a lot of women have maintained what were traditionally their mother's responsibilities. And so what's unfolded for a lot of people is this frantic double shift of work day and night with very little, if any, rest. Now, of course, we're capable of that from an intelligence perspective. Of course, we can match it with the boys in any arena we choose. But what I want people to deeply, deeply appreciate is that we have never, ever, ever asked our bodies to live like this before. And mm. some people's bodies rebel and and hormonal challenges are one of the big things that starts to come through for women when their bodies are rebelling. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like we drink the Kool-Aid of the new modern life, but just as with any new exciting drug, there are side effects, right? Yeah, beautifully said, Alex, beautifully mm. said. And if we consider that as a species, as, a, as an animal species that humans are, uh, obviously with consciousness, but as we evolve, we we tend to evolve very gradually and so we really are because we're living in such a new way we haven't really yet evolved to be able to completely and utterly handle this new this new way of life that we've created
Mm, crazy. And well, it's not crazy because we're seeing it all around us. And, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll come to talking about this a little bit later with your new book, The Beauty Guide, which I absolutely want to make sure we bring up, um, is the aspect of how much we've started slapping on ourselves and eating that wasn't around back in cavewoman days either. Mm, exactly. And food's become, people have made food very complex and it doesn't need to be. For me, there's there's no such thing as junk food. There's just junk and there's food. Mm. And for all of human history, we've eaten food up until the very, very recent past when the junk has all come in. So yeah. it's, um, it's if when we phrase it like that and, and think about it like that, our bodies were designed and have all of the equipment inside of it to break down what we currently call whole real food, which is just food really. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And it's, it's it's crazy how complicated real food has even become. And I feel like that could be like a whole nother um, podcast show in itself, really. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but like for one question on that topic, um, because I know you address this so beautifully along the way through many of your books, is is helping people be the masters of literally their own domain when it comes to finding true suitability of food for themselves. Yes, I don't believe there is one size fits all and I do Woo-hoo! believe <laughs> I do believe very much that you know inside yourself better than anyone external to you what is right for you. There's a voice inside you that has your back. There's a voice inside you that knows when you need to go to bed, that knows when you need to get off your emails and go outside and change the way you're breathing or change your posture or stand up and walk more. And it's the same voice that knows that it's time for lunch now or it knows that you need something more than a coffee just for lunch. Mm. It's just that we don't always listen to that voice and uh, it's uh, it's our beliefs often that get in the way of that. Our beliefs drive a lot of our behaviour and it's why with my work there are three pillars to it, the biochemical, the nutritional and the emotional because mm. that, third, that third pillar where we ask the question, why do you do what you do even though you have the knowledge that you have, there's a lot of juice in that to, to changing longer-term behaviours, particularly with food. Oh, 100%. It's why I've got mind as one of our pillars for food, body, home and mind because you can see so many people so dreadfully stressed out about trying to keep up with being 100% organic or, you know, like just think if we don't hold that mind piece to the highest of regards just as we do any other pillar in living a great happy life, healthy life for us and the planet, then, you know, we're, we're really missing the, um, if not the overarching thing that ties it all together to truly being implementable. I so agree. And um, there's a, I was I'm in the middle of a speaking tour at the moment and I was chatting to a girl last night and I could see her immense desire for perfection. Just, it was so visible to me, bless her cotton socks. And she had a big health challenge and so I asked her, I said, do you identify with the idea that you're a perfectionist? And it, and she did. And it really is a mask that fear wears. We There's a massive difference between having high standards and deeply caring and then I think absolutely annihilating ourselves with harsh judgments when uh, when, when we hold up this this ideal of whatever we perceive perfection to be. And it can, that alone can be incredibly destructive to physical health, mental health and almost to our soul really. Mm, absolutely. And in fact, you talk about this in the beauty guide um, and uh, like that idea of um, comparison culture. Now, this isn't just about looks. This is about exactly what you were just talking about with people holding like this idea of what truly healthy looks like and comparing themselves to someone who looks like they're abundantly healthy and having all these sadly dark and and um, shameful conversations with themselves like how do we how do we unpack that and start to build people's power back up within themselves Mm. I love this question Alex thank you I think firstly I think it's really important to recognize that not that long ago we probably cared about what I don't know, five or 10 people thought of us. Now it's, it's natural to, to care what other people think, but now people care about what thousands of people think of them. And most of them are strangers. Mm. So, um, I think the number of people, uh, who we potentially compare ourselves to is, is probably dramatically, well, it has dramatically increased, I think. And for me, stress, real and I'm not talking about trauma here. I'm talking about everyday little stresses, you know, like running late or, our to-do lists or emails or whatever it might be that stress people out. Stress, I think, really is an achiever's word for fear, but it would just be a bit weird if we walked around saying I'm scared of my emails, although I 
I totally am. I totally am. I'm completely frozen. I totally press that refresh button (laughs) when it comes to mid morning and I I, I check in on my emails for the first time and I just kind of go, oh, please. And then you see the whole page of black come up and you're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And then we go, we just reframe it, don't we? Yeah, exactly. It's it's all a great gift. Exactly, Uh, right? So can I stay with that? Because that was something that I absolutely loved hearing you say in uh, in a keynote a couple of years ago. I think that one was for business chicks as well. And um, and you talked about the reframing of, of busyness. And sometimes it's actually completely fine to be busy, especially if you're leading a rich and fulfilling life full of amazing things that you absolutely decided you want to be doing. And, um, and I think speaking to people that day, I remember that presented a beautiful shift for a lot of people. Um, because, you know, quite often we've been told that busy, you know, the glorification of busy means stressed faces and I don't want to be doing this. And you kind of almost have to socially say that you resent all the stuff that's going on because that's what is more normal and acceptable. Like we're all burdened, but Mm. if we bravely reframe as you, um, invited us to do that morning, I truly believe you can feel quite excited by how much you've got going on. Um, can yep. you can you talk me through whether that's um, safe biochem- <laughs> biochemistry wise for us to do that reframe and if it actually does help? Yes, it, and it, it completely it's game changing mm. because when we think if we use the school ruler again uh, for this analogy, up until the very 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 recent past, the only time we ever made adrenaline, one of our stress hormones, was when our life was physically in danger. Whereas now our stress is far more psychological in its nature and we tend to make adrenaline uh, because of our perceptions of pressure and urgency. Now, I'm not denying for a second that there aren't things that aren't urgent. Of course, there are. If you get a phone call from school and your child's been injured, that's urgent. You want to get there as quickly as you can. But what most of us have done is we've made what we do each day full of stress and pressure and urgency. Mm. So the first thing is I think that language the language we use has a dramatic effect on our nervous system. So when we look at a to-do list and go, oh, kind of like eye roll or, or you feel your shoulders slump and you think, oh, I have to do all of this, you can, you can reframe it and think, wow, what do you mean I get to do this? Mm. And uh, because and and you with with that little tiny subtle shift in language, you get back in touch with the privilege of of your life. So and and your days and and your tasks. So it might be that you have three school lunches to make uh, first thing in the morning before you do ten other jobs before you get the little people out the door, and then you've got six jobs to do before you get to your own uh, paid employment where you've got to meet the needs of everybody else for the whole rest of the day, and then you do your morning in reverse uh, as you head home in the <laughs> <Yeah>. evening. <laughs> Uh, and then collapse onto the couch at half past ten at night with not a, not a lot le- not a lot left in the tank. So mm. it's very easy to feel overwhelmed by that, to feel burdened by that, and to perceive pressure and urgency in everything. And yet, if you stand there when you're making this three school lunches, the privilege is that you have three healthy children uh, for whom to make lunch for, mm. and one day one or two or three of them are going to move out of home and go off to their own lives or to university and you might have mornings where you think, oh, I miss making so-and-so's yes. lunch or you know, <laughs> yeah. we miss those sweet little moments that we have right now that really make up so much beauty in our life. Um, but you can also flip it and think, well, I can make these lunches because I, I have the money to be able to afford food and it's fresh food and aren't I privileged and et cetera, et cetera. So you can yeah. reframe I think, anything. But I was reminded very powerfully of the way pressure and urgency really is a a perception when I spoke for the hereditary breast and ovarian cancer society and uh, that room was filled either with women who had been told they had the gene for breast and or ovarian cancer or they had one of those cancers or they were cancer thrivers uh, because I don't think you just survive cancer you're a thriver Mm. and a lot of the women in the room had a lot of life's biggest, toughest things happening all at once. So some of them shared with me that they had a poor prognosis. Others shared with me that they had an unknown prognosis. So their mortality was that, that was really in question. Uh, they Many of them were suffering so much with their treatments they'd had to stop work. So there were financial challenges. Some shared with me that their marriages and, and other relationships had broken down. They had challenges with teenage children and on and on 
really the list of challenges they were facing went. Mm. And I spoke to um, many of the women who were in that room individually at towards the end of that day and I ask questions of people often when after I speak, they ask questions of me and I ask questions of them. It's one of the ways I continue to learn. And the theme in my mind that day was, uh, and I asked each of these women individually, do you feel like you're living in a world full of stress and pressure and urgency? And every single one of them said no. And when I asked how that was possible, the essence of what they communicated back to me was that they just felt so privileged to still be alive. Oh, wow. So we don't want it to be some kind of health crisis that wakes us up to truly how magnificent all of this is. And holy smokes, yes, it's busy sometimes, but what a, what a gift that is that we have such full lives, such rich lives, and those lives truly are so privileged because all of our basic needs are met. And when yet for too many people in the world, that's not the case. So I think even when we're going through truly tough, genuinely tough stuff, there is just so much uh, to be grateful for. And when we are grateful, in those split seconds, our nervous system can't make stress hormones because your nervous system can't focus on two things at once. <laughs> oh, that's handy to know, can't it? <laughs> no. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I, well, that is just so, proof in the pudding of things like gratitude journaling and all that good stuff. It is, Alex, because – and I'd just like to say hello to all the multitaskers out there because <laughs> we, we I hold actually, my hand up in shame. Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago that I couldn't do it and um, was very excited when I found the scientific evidence for, for why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we can do two things at once, but we can't focus on two things at once. So so your actual nervous system, your brain is is in one place or the other. You can be doing two things, but you're not focused on two things. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just I'm like I'm literally thinking about so many things that I do throughout the day or week right now, like going, Oh, is that me? Or, you know, I'm sure everybody else is the same. Um, okay, so we can reframe stress, we can move to a conversation of gratitude, and we can therefore change the biochemical reactions that happen um by consciously doing that, correct? Yes, I truly believe that. And I also think it's very important to catch ourselves in the act. So life will just keep going the way it's going unless we make a concerted effort to alter some of these responses. So when I think it's really easy to look out upon our life and think, okay, well, I can't change this. I can't change my job right now. I can't change my mortgage repayments. I can't change the fact that I've got three school lunches to make in the morning, etc., etc. Mm. So when you look out upon it and you think I can't change it, and if you believe that that's the source of your busyness and your rushing and the, the pressure or the urgency that you perceive, the only option we have is to change the way we look at all of that. So to 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 not produce all these stress hormones or stress hormones relentlessly in our day. Mm. So. So when we see it like that, if you then catch yourself in the act of, let's say, running late really bothers you. So you'll be on your way somewhere, you're running late, you get all worked up on the inside and you sit there in the traffic thinking, oh, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed. Instead of doing that, if you can remember the, the concept or try on the possibility that perhaps stress is the achiever's word for fear and you bring real curiosity or even tenderness uh, into into your own mind and think, okay, so if this is if this stressed out feeling I have right now is showing me something that I'm frightened of, I wonder what that might be. Because if you think about it, what is there to be stressed about running late? It's not the actual act of running late. If you pull the curtain back on it, what you'll see is that what stresses most people out is what other people think of them. Mm. And so instead of sitting in the stress and just repeating to yourself, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, if you pause and think, okay, this is actually coming from my big, beautiful heart because I care so much and I really value what my boss or my colleagues or a family member or my friend or whoever you're running late to meet, look how much I care about them. I care that they know that I'm a good person. So you then, when you get there, you then show up with a very different pathway in your communication instead of it being this intense rushing in and that kind of infiltrating perhaps through the whole meeting or the catch-up you turn up and you say, I'm so sorry that I'm late and it, I, I got quite worked up about it because I care so much. I care that you know that you're important to me, that I value this job or I value this friendship. or And it just proves, pr provides you with a platform to have this most gorgeous, authentic conversation. Mm. And, and that's really what it's about. So, Yeah, that's like, beautiful. 
I feel like that really helps to shift this sensation that we have of, of always being stressed. It's kind of like we're worried we're going to let people down or we're worried, yeah, that people are going to think that we're thoughtless or not kind or respectful and uh, and we're not those things. Just Stuff just happens and it, it, that, that I think that um, framework helps us to have a different conversation and then therefore change our biochemistry. Yeah, beautiful. And in terms of um, that, the, the aspect of of slowing ourselves down because we do need to do more of that. There's no question um, compared to like cave woman would look at us, wouldn't she? And just go, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. She would be, she would be laughing in her behind that rock in her cave. Most definitely. <laughs> yes. And I think um, to the, to the um, great benefit and almost admiration that I hold for men who literally know when they've done their dash for the day and are able to 100%, it seems in most cases, completely switch off, sit on couch and say, my time, done. I'm done. I am done. And women are like, oh, but I'll just do the this and I'll just do the that and I like list of 20 things. And then the husband might look up casually and go, I thought you said you were going to bed. (laughs) (laughs) And then when they're ready to go to bed, switch off light, roll over, bye-bye. And it's done. And, um, and I feel like, um, women just, is it that we are biologically wired to take on all of the extra things, um, now that so many of us are working and obviously a lot of that home stuff hasn't gone away, it doesn't go away. Mm. Um, or is it that we're culturally, um, wired because I've, I've had a few chats, um, with various guests in the past on this, and I'd love to see what you believe or or what, what you've Mm. seen. I think it's both biological and cultural Mm. Uh, and I think our culture can shift faster than our biology, to be honest, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, because biology takes generations and generations to start to shift. So um, men are what that meant forever. Men have gone out in the daylight um, to do the hunting, the protection uh, and returned and it's built into them that they know they need to rest again before they go out (laughs) uh, and, and do what they did the day before again. So I do think that there is a huge aspect of this that's biological. It's just that in the past for women, it was just a consistent amount of work, a consistent amount of effort, a consistent amount of alertness, awareness, um, doing of tasks that happened, I think, far more consistently across the day. Whereas it was really what I was alluding to in the beginning when I talked about the frantic double shift of work day and night because uh, we've maintained uh, a lot of women still today and research shows this that uh, women have maintained about three times the amount of house chores uh, th- th- uh, than men at the moment. So, but that will gradually shift the more uh, our voices grow. And I just, I'm trying for it not to be that women's health suffers before mm. they speak. Before they speak up and say, "I need help. I can't do the double shift. I need. We all need." leisure time as well as actual sleeping time that's what's really massively been eaten into I think you know not that long ago we might have done eight hours of work eight hours of leisure and eight hours of sleep in a day and night Mm. and and now it's just workers eaten across a lot of people's leisure time even into their sleep time to be fair and and um and that can take away our fulfillment in life and our joy in life because not all of us are in positions where we get to do jobs that really light us up and that we love. There are people that do jobs so that they can have, you know, great holidays or leisure time or buy books or mm. buy organic or buy organic food, whatever their whatever their value system reflects. Um, so if you if you're not lit up by your work, then I think it's so important that there's time spent doing other things that really nourish your soul. Uh, because uh, life can can lose some meaning if if we're not doing things that fulfil us. So yeah. to answer your question, Alex, I think it's biological and cultural. Yeah, combo of both. I believe the mm. same. And something that you said just before, um, talking about that double shift and it's 10.30 and we finally slump on the couch, I feel like that means, because quite shortly after you'd probably just either pass out in bed or on the couch, <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, in – in cavewoman days, there would have been this transition of downshifting gradually over the course of an evening, afternoon and evening and into the night, whereas now it's like full steam ahead and blackout. What, yeah. Or what does that, how fast does that start to impact us over the years as we, you know, is there is there research that shows um, a detriment to not kind of gradually shifting down gears versus 
going full pelt and passing out? The evidence is in the number of sleep problems people now experience. Gotcha. So, yeah, so when, you know, when, obviously not that long ago when we lost light from the sky, that was it. There, you know, unless you could do things by firelight, nothing else was really going to happen then for the day other than that slowdown and then off to rest, mm. off to sleep. Um, so whereas uh, now I think people see the evening as an opportunity to have some fun, to get more work done, and a lot of that involves uh, very bright light. And obviously when our the retina of our eyes is exposed to light, it destroys or doesn't allow the production of melatonin, one of our sleep hormones. Uh, and that then prevents us from even getting sleepy. Mm. Uh, but if we, but a lot of people sort of, I think, you know, zoom around with real intensity all day and half the night. And then they think, oh, it's bedtime. I better get to bed because I've got to get up early again tomorrow. And you just go to bed in this buzzing kind of wired state and just expect your body to just crash and go to sleep. And for a lot of people that doesn't happen. So without, you know, it sounds, I don't know, to a a cave woman would laugh at this as well, but our our modern life almost necessitates this. Um, if if we are living with intensity, you almost need some rituals in your across your evening to to calm down so that you can actually fall asleep and stay asleep, so that melatonin production can kick in, so that the arm of the nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system can actually activate, which is the arm of the nervous system that actually allows you to fall asleep. Uh, that can be activated. So yeah, there are some beautiful rituals I think we can employ across the evening to help support great sleep. It's I don't have good statistics for Australia, I apologise, but I've got some pretty robust stats from New Zealand. Mm, um, go for we, it. We, we can extrapolate, extrapolate this, I think, to um, probably a lot of Western countries. So uh, to set the scene, um, New Zealand has a population of about four and a half million people. And obviously not all of those are adults. So let's say three million of them are adults. And in 2012, there were 680,000 unique prescriptions written for sleeping tablets. You're kidding. So, no, so that's a huge percentage of the adult population. Actually, they're the documented, that's the documented number that went to seek help for sleep problems. So there'll be countless others who just put up with who just put up with it and think that it's just their lot in life now. Yeah. There'll be others that probably went to seek natural medicine help, so they haven't been recorded uh, on that register. But that was 680,000 unique individuals sought help for sleep problems from their general practitioner uh, and medication was prescribed. So I only give you that statistic to show you what an enormous problem Mm. uh, great quality sleep actually is for a lot of people. And a big part of it is what you just described, Alex, when we just zoom about uh, wired with intensity sort of all day and then all night and then just expect ourselves to sleep when that's, again, a very new thing to us. Mm, Sleep needs foreplay. It sure does. I, I find um, reading by candlelight is actually like, and I'd have to do about two or three candles for it to be bright enough for it to not actually hurt my eyes as well, be too dark. But just that low light, the flicker, it just, it's almost a meditative tranquilization that happens over the space of half an hour. And I just find it so lovely to go to bed under those circumstances. Um, uh, and that's what works for me. I'd love to hear in the show notes, in the comments, if anyone wants to share any um, even challenges you're experiencing just so we can kind of see what what people are faced with dealing with and and maybe how you're working on it um, what's working what's not yeah it'd be really interesting um, now um, Libby I want to ask we sort of started touching on comparison a little bit early in our chat and I want to come back to it because um, on the beauty front especially I'm seeing some pretty crazy stuff in the land of social media at the moment, as I'm sure are you, which was, was that one of the motivators, this whole new era of social media that we're faced with and, and how that's jacked up comparing ourselves to other people even more so? Yes, it was a massive reason why I've written this new book, to be Mm. honest, Alex, because I wanted, the beauty guide's not a fluffy conversation around beauty, although yes, it talks about, (laughs) it talks uh, about, um, what you know is needed nutritionally for great skin hair and nails and all those things because that helps us be healthier and obviously everything that we see on the outside has been created by what's gone on inside um but yes it was there's a there's a deeper conversation in there around this culture of comparison and it was i just saw and heard and met girls with too many heartbreaking stories and for example uh you know right now we can get fake everything and on the one hand, you go, aren't we fortunate? Aren't we privileged that 
if your nails don't grow or they're soft or they're weak, you can get fake nails. And if your hair starts to fall out, you can get hair extensions and clip it in. And again, there's, it's just that can be uplifting and confidence building and that how wonderful that we you know have access to that type of thing right now. If the outer third of your eyebrow hair falls out, you can get them tattooed back on. But my but message is... Why would you is, look at your thyroid then? Yeah, That's right. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> my message is, you know, it's these beauty bits uh, communicating to you that there's something going on on the inside that needs addressing. And if, uh, you know, if the outer third of the eyebrow hair falls out, as you said, it can be a sign that your thyroid needs support it can be a sign that you're chronically iron deficient uh, if your hair's falling out at classic signs of iron deficiency or zinc deficiency thyroid problems or a sex hormone imbalance and so if we don't address what the body is actually going through and what's causing these challenges in the first place it can lead to much bigger consequences down the track so uh, but but again through um, to come back to this idea of comparison you know obviously we we have grown up knowing that what we see is not necessarily real, but there's a whole new generation of of people now who believe whatever they see, and they even though their their parents will tell them that's been altered, that's not physically possible in nature, that's got a filter on it, that's been photoshopped. You, you often don't believe your parents, do you, when they tell mm. you? That? <laughs> yeah. um, and I think when we're scrolling through, well, firstly, we're exposed to just so much more information, so much more visually now, and we spend a lot, a lot of people spend a lot of time scrolling through images uh, through the various social media channels, and we can lose touch with the fact that those things have been altered or constructed or and that they're not possible in nature. And so if you then start to think, well, I don't look like that, if the images you're seeing have become what you perceive to be, and I put the word normal in inverted commas, if that's become your norm and you don't look like that, then you start to usually unknowingly believe that there's something, there must be something wrong with you. Mm. So, and the minute you start to develop a belief that there's something wrong with you, that you're not good enough, you're not tall enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not slim enough, you're not loud enough, you're not quiet enough, whatever your not enoughness is, you then start to perceive the world through a lens that reinforces that belief that you don't even know that you've taken on board. Yeah. And that then impacts absolutely everything. It's going to, when you think you're not enough, you really, the essence of it is you don't believe you're worth loving. Mm. And, um, which is another conversation in itself and one of my favorite conversations to have. But when you, when you perceive that knowingly or unknowingly, it is going to affect the food choices you make, whether you get off the couch and go for a walk or not, jobs that you would apply for, friends that you make, your self-talk and the way you speak to everyone you love in the world. So that, that culture of comparison is really feeding into this belief that we're not enough the way that we are and not okay, not good enough the way that we are. And the ripple effect of that is so enormous. I've, I talk about, um, there's another piece in the beauty guide where I talk about where have all the little leaders gone. And mm. It's you, you walk into a schoolyard when girls have just started school, they're five or six years old, and you look around that, that playground, you, you see they could run the world. You see all the future leaders of the world there. Their posture is upright. Their eyes are shining and bright. And you go back to that schoolyard when they're 13, and I'm generalising here, and this certainly doesn't happen to all girls, but in general, you go back to that schoolyard, you know, six, seven years later, and you wonder where those a lot of those little leaders have gone. Their posture's often somewhat stooped. Uh, some of the light has even gone out of their eyes. They've lost confidence. They've become incredibly body conscious. They're worrying every minute of every day what other people think of them. And that is heartbreaking. Mm. And that's we have to change that. We uh, Little girls need to continue to grow with, without being so vulnerable to the passing comments and judgments of others. So... I'm yeah on a real mission yeah with with this new piece of work to really support the strength of belief in in young young women young girls and young women the, the way that they are because they've been born with their own talents with their own gifts with their own voices with their own passions with the things that they care about with the things that bother them that you know the universe pokes them to speak up about and as adults, we want to foster that and, and do everything we can with the things we comment on, the, the traits that we notice about them 
to, to really foster that that courage, that independence, that strength, that self-belief, that self-worth, so that they're not as vulnerable to, to the passing comments of others. Mm, so interesting. And there is just so much to impact, unpack on, on what you just said. But something that um, caught my ears was when you were talking about um, us feeling worthy of love for ourselves and within ourselves and how that can then dictate whether you don't get off the couch and go for the walk or whether you reach for another block of chocolate and or another packet of chips and all the things. This almost self-sabotage really, isn't it? Mm. Um, and it is, are we doing that to confirm for ourselves that we're not worthy of love? So there's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system that looks for evidence of what we perceive is true. So uh, if you believe there aren't enough hours in the day, then that will be your experience. You will always feel like there's not enough time in the day, yet the person next to you um, might get more done and they do it in a calmer fashion because their belief is that all the important things always get done. Mm. So beliefs are slippery in that we are usually very good at identifying what we believe about other people. We're very good at believing, uh, at recognising what we believe about politics or environmental policy, but we are not so skilled at the moment, uh, I don't think in general, in understanding or knowing what we believe about ourselves, as in who do you, if I say to a room full of people, tell me who you perceive you have to be to be loved, it takes them quite a long time to be able to develop a, a dialogue around that or to, to, to actually work out what they think about that. Mm. So we're usually not so good at working out what we believe about ourselves. And um, I think if we knew who we truly are, we would be in absolute awe of ourselves. And yet most people live their lives so out of touch with that. And if we lived more in touch with the miracle that we are, we probably wouldn't choose half the things we do, you know, the, the poorer food choices or getting off the couch, as you just mentioned. Yeah. And I also, I also think we wouldn't feel like we have to hide our true our true selves and often the way I get people to to sort of visualize how the the belief of their not enoughness is impacted upon and then how they go find they, they they unconsciously go and find evidence for that is I'll get them to imagine themselves as a baby and sometimes it's good if you can remember a photo that you have of yourself that captures a particular moment uh, or that you might simply remember and you, you visualize that in your own mind's eye and if you're struggling with how you perceive yourself today I think that it can sometimes help to remember that before anything actually happened in your life, you were a super, super precious little being and you didn't have to instruct yourself to start to grow up. Your body has had an extraordinary instinctual knowledge about what to do uh, that, that is the perfect, per, that is absolutely perfect for your journey and to recognize the absolute power in that. Your, your body knew what to do for you to start to grow up. So just in the same way a human doesn't have to tell a rosebud to open uh, and become a rose everything in nature us included has an innate wisdom within us that fosters our beautiful selves to grow and become who we are so if when we picture ourselves as a baby then from you know move on from there and then picture yourself as a two-year-old and notice the light in your eyes and your energy and your playfulness and that you're growing up knowing in every fiber of your being that you're wonderful and then off you go to school and try and conjure up a mental image of a photo perhaps from that time. Are you still your bright light self or maybe somewhere around that time the, the lights sometimes for some girls start to dim even just slightly because a lot of things do start to change somewhere between four and seven. We start to believe what we hear other people saying about us. We start to create meanings from the looks on people's faces about who we must be to be on the receiving end of those expressions and those words, whether those words were harsh or just thoughtless throwaway comments, perhaps that no one else noticed. And then you sort of then start to doubt, I think, perhaps for the very first time, you start to doubt that thinking and you start thinking, well, maybe you're not that wonderful or special or precious or lovable or worthy, but you don't do this consciously. You don't tend to sit around wondering and literally <laughs> asking yourself those questions. Sounds but, like we get chipped away at from both the inside and the outside, isn't it? Yeah, beautifully said, yeah. Mm. But it's it's as if because of that chipping away, we somewhere on the inside we start to question who we are and if we're actually loved. We can't see at this stage uh, that the people in our lives are the way they are because of their joys and their pains up until that point in time because we don't 
yet have that level of psychological maturity, the only way that we can begin to make sense of what's actually going on is to create a belief in our own deficiency. So we we unknowingly start to believe and then act as if something is wrong with us and we start to perceive flaws in ourselves really for the first time during this time. Like you might think, oh, my nose is too big and so are my thighs or my clothes are old-fashioned and I'm so embarrassed and then to feel safe. Oh, I remember thinking that in my sleeves, homemade formal dress. (laughs) You'd be so proud of it these days. I would. I couldn't, like my mum can sew. How clever is that? You know, it's all in the reframe. Isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost like we then, we're having all these feelings. They're all stewing. They're all, we're being chipped away at, as we talked about. And then all it takes is the Boomgate ad from the cosmetic clinic in your local shopping center that has a picture of a woman with lips that have never been touched by surgical procedure, mind you, that says, lips you can finally love for $389. And, um, and then it's like, oh, see, it is, it is me. There is something wrong with me and I need to pay to be lovable. And, um, and that's, that to me, this new phase of the ante really well and truly being upped on how inadequate we're made to feel physically, um, is, is, is so dangerous. And it, what it's doing, I think, is it is taking the incredible gift and energy that women have for driving a better world. It's robbing us of the desire to focus on that and putting the focus on first world problems that do not even exist. You know, we are all so beautiful and precious as we are. And it, it breaks my heart. Imagine the collective energy we could muster on really important, significant issues if we stopped being dictated to by the boom gate in the local shopping centre making us feel like crap. Uh, I cannot, you couldn't say it any better, Alex, beautifully said. I so agree. And when, when I first started working, people came to me a lot for weight loss and I've never owned a set of scales in my practice. I've never weighed a single patient. And when I rode accidentally overweight to try to export in the, with the goal of helping people to understand that all the different biochemical actions that the body gets to burn fat or store fat, I opened that book with, with exactly the essence of what you just said. I want you to stop worrying about this so that you can sh- completely focus on sharing your gifts with the world. You'll put on this, you weren't put on this planet to worry about the shape and size of of your waist or your thighs or your hips or your lips or mm. any of those things there's you have a message you have a gift just your presence and and being your authentic self and when when we doubt that and when we're when we when, yeah when we doubt our uniqueness and our specialness and our and our beauty whatever that means for us it ta- it can take away from that so i agree let's harness let's begin to shift this however we can yeah <laughs> and, yeah um, and hopefully we can put um shed a bit of light on the botox situation because you know apparently we're not allowed to age gracefully anymore and that is basically signing ourselves up for having failed at life by having wrinkles um is there any research um emerging yet that shows any long-term damage from botox I haven't actually gone hunting for that, Alex. Mm. I haven't, so I'm not familiar. If uh, I'm not sure if there's there's research been done about it, but yeah. it's yeah, it's not that's not something that that I'm across right now. Okay. I think a really beautiful way to look at it though is um, our often our our heart, or for some people, it's their brain sort of is going to guide their future. That's you know you can think, oh, my ideas come from my heart or my brain about my future, but our face sometimes shows us our past. And our, you know, when when you see a line develop because you went through a particularly rough patch, you you can see that line. And instead of thinking, oh, I wish that wasn't there, you go look at the look at my resilience. I made it through that really tough time. And so what that there's a line there that reminds me of of this trait that I value so much in myself. Which, of how tough you know, I am, yeah. Yeah, or my courage, or my bravery, or yeah, my resilience, whatever it is. So. Changing the conversation to be more of your, uh, you know, that what we go through can sometimes be reflected on our bodies, but it's an incredible reminder of what we've cultivated within ourselves, the growth we have had to undergo to to deal with what's unfolded, uh, and I think that helps to yeah help us to it helps us to appreciate yeah the, these traits beyond something physical on the outside mm, absolutely lots of reframing going on today 
<laughs> so speaking of reframing, I might bring up cellulite here because often I feel like um, the, the, the real advent of marketing happened and the real kind of potential of marketing started to unfold when marketers realized that they could create problems that didn't exist and then create products to answer our concerns around those new problems that we've just discovered that, mm. by the way, did not exist, just to remind everybody. Is cellulite actually a problem? Uh, well, it's not a problem in itself, but it's another vehicle of of the way the body communicates something going on internally and cool. help uh, makes it visible so it let, let someone like me know what's going on inside so the first thing that happens for cellulite to form is there's been the the loss of muscle mass so from the age of 30 onwards unless we do something to actively at least maintain but preferably build on our muscle mass we're going to start to lose it from the age of 30 onwards so if you can imagine if if everyone looks at the thumb on their right hand right now and you think okay well when I was 30 uh, I had a muscle that was that thick that was you know that size but I didn't exercise it and so now look at the your little finger on on your right hand and you can look at that and go and now that original thumb muscle is only as thick as the muscle on my little finger so there's now space inside me where that muscle once took up that space but it's shrunk so there's space around it and the body won't allow that so fat infiltrates that essentially empty space is that why and, little babies' bottoms often have cellulite? Because there's just space and the muscle hasn't developed yet. It's it's not really cellulite, but it's the, it's the muscle. It's the latter part of what you just said. It's the muscle still developing. Absolutely, it's so cute though. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and and then what happens very gradually over time is the liver. Uh, one of the main jobs of the liver is detoxification, and detoxification biochemically is just a change process. So the liver has to take substances that if they were going to accumulate in your body, they'd be harmful to you. It has to take substances and change them into something less harmful so you can then get rid of them, uh, incorporate those things into your urine and your fecal matter and get rid of them from your body. So that's all detoxification is. It's a change process, a transformation process. And very gradually over time, if the liver can't keep up with the load that it's receiving, we can start to recycle some of these potentially problematic substances. And the body won't allow those problematic substances to remain in your blood because that's the blood supply that's going to flow through all of your vital organs, your heart, your lungs, your pancreas, etc., and so the body tries to move these problematic substances away from those organs uh, and it stores the problematic substances in your body fat, often on your bottom and your hips and your thighs, and then that will appear as cellulite. Mm. So, so two things have gone on for the cellulite to appear. There's been muscle loss uh, and also usually the recycling of substances by the liver. So that would be always where I would encourage someone to focus if that is something that, that's unfolded. And that's, again, another part of what I mean about the body doesn't have a voice, but it will give you symptoms or challenges to help you to direct your focus to what on the inside potentially needs attention to have better health. Yeah, and rather than buy $150 tubes of cream that promise to remove it, how about we actually think about what's going on here to um, to work to that level instead. Very much so. Mm. And in terms of detoxification, seeing as you brought up the liver, um, there's something that a lot of people who start to want to look at their beauty products and obviously, you know, that's something we work with a lot of people on at, um, in the work I do. And so I was so excited to see you starting to talk about this um, because because uh, it's important basically really mm -hmm. and um and to talk about something that so many people find really um confronting confusing overwhelming name it what you will is well what happens to all the stuff that's in my body already now because I've used all of this crap for decades um and sorry mum I said the word crap on the podcast I know you don't like that um and um <laughs> uh so how can we because some of these substances um, some of the endocrine disruptive chemicals that some of them are fat soluble some of them are water soluble the fat soluble ones are obviously a little trickier to detox and there's even evidence that shows some of them um to be obesogenic so contributing to weight gain what what are some of your tips on how we can detoxify um, in in a kind of gentle and daily fashion? What are some of your favourite go tos? 
so eating food and not junk. Mm-hmm. So big yep. focus Tick. on whole real food. Yeah, plenty of plant food. So plenty of vegetables, especially. So um, in Australia at the moment, we're told we need two serves of fruit and five serves of vegetables a day. That's just for average basic health. That's not for kick it out of the park or some levels of health. That's just average basic health. And yet less than 10% of Australian adults eat five serves of vegetables a day. Mm. So we really need to be focused on massively increasing the the, the, the veggie content of, of what we're consuming because there are substances beyond just the vitamins and minerals in plants. So there's there are things called phytochemicals. The brassica family of veggies, for example, uh, the broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts contain things called glufurafane and indoles, and they actually drive some of the phase two detoxification uh, pathways in the body. Mm. So, and then uh, the third thing is you actually to but when you particularly if you've got fat soluble uh, problematic substances stored they're going to be stored actually in your body fat so when you if you shift uh, the way that you're eating or living or your hormones to start to use body fat more effectively as a fuel uh, when you do that you're going to mobilize these substances that are stored in there and the body won't let you do that unless you have capacity to fully detoxify them so that you can actually get rid of them because mm. the the body shoved, put the body popped them away into your body fat in the first place because it couldn't keep up with the load. Yeah, because we're we're exposed to all these things all the time. Um, although there's obviously lots we can do with our lifestyle choices to massively minimise our exposure, but there are things we can't control our exposure to, like the number of cars on the road, for example. That's you know something that we can't have a we're going to walk outside. Immediate, yeah, effect. Yeah. 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 So I always get people to think, okay, so the problems occur when these things stay in our body. So you want to be able to fully detoxify them and then allow them to then leave your body and your urine and your fecal matter. So the whole real food is very important. The reduction of stress matters because when you're really stressed and living on adrenaline, you use more glucose than fat as a fuel. Whereas when you aren't making so much adrenaline then and you're living in a calmer way your body fat your body uses fat far more effectively as a fuel so you're a lot more likely to utilize that rather than store it so that's the the reduction of stress can also be very important there are beautiful medicinal herbs that can be used but you need very good bile production to deal with the fat soluble substances so um, bile production is enhanced through the consumption of bitter foods so again all your leafy greens are very good the medicinal herbs are things like globe artichoke and st mary's thistle they're very very good for bile production as well as liver detoxification yeah so there's some little simple steps oh fantastic and um in terms of liver so we want to detoxify the liver first and then we want to move towards shifting the weight and and making a bigger lifestyle change so that is it almost like so that the liver's ready and in action for the next step the liver is always detoxifying, but it's the lifestyle choices we're making that are going to determine how efficiently the liver can do that detox work. So you want to be, you ideally you do the preparation work of not giving the liver additional things to deal with ahead of time, absolutely, and then be focused on yeah using the body fat more effectively, more effectively as a fuel, uh, so that then the liver can actually. Ex- do what you said and, and deal with what you're then going to mobilize. Yeah, gotcha. And there is a huge trend towards um, towards becoming fat burners and not sugar burners. And I don't see, I don't hear in the conversation that much the piece around actually reducing your stress levels to become a more efficient fat burner. It seems like there's a billion protocols that, you know, you can go keto and you can do this and you can you can almost manipulate the human body into doing things differently. Whereas it's almost like if we actually go back to a more, um, a more simple way of being, it'll just kind of start to do what it was meant to do the whole time anyway. Does that, is that on the Completely, money? Alex. Yeah. That is so on the money. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Really good lesson. Um, you know, often we try to outsmart, create new problems, solve those, create new problems, solve those. And mm-hmm. instead of actually going back and going, actually, we used to be really good at this. Let's yeah. just do it that way again. <laughs> I am with you 100% on that. Wow, cool, fantastic. Love a bit of clarity. Um, I feel like we could uh, we could just keep talking forever and I'm mindful that we've reached our one-hour um, uh, limit and I know that you're super busy, so I'd love to invite you back some stage next year for us to tackle another topic. 
Um, but I would love to just read out a quote that you've included in the beauty guide from the beautiful Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. And I know exactly why, obviously, having read the book, you've included that quote in the book. But I'd love to ask you to finish um, today what you do to be yourself and how you notice about yourself when you're veering off track and, and what some of your favorite keep yourself in check things are. Oh, so beautiful, Alex. My heart races the minute I do something against my soul. I oh, so a- does mine. I've got the <laughs> best BSometer in terms of the veer off course. I literally feel allergic to it straight away. Yeah, your it's your body won't let won't let us go there anymore, which is what a gift that is, you know. Mm. So, um yeah, it's it's I guess a conversation for another day, but yeah, my soul runs my life and uh it's there's an and that's that voice inside me that I was talking about earlier that there's that voice inside us all that has our back. And uh, for me, uh, that, that is spending time in solitude. It is spending time with people I treasure who are really deep in my heart. Uh, it's uh, observing nature, uh, so just watching light change, uh, looking at hills and mountains and trees and chickens. <laughs> I love chickens. <laughs> um, so it's reading uh, it's 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 providing myself with nourishing food. I grow a lot of my own vegetables. So alongside with my work, they're all the the my work is fulfilling to me as well. I wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it if it if it wasn't meaningful to me. Um, but they're all the, the the simple things that that I do every day to to yeah to nourish myself and that keep keep me centered and very grounded and very grateful but also yeah living to the to, to the beat of that soul of mine and we all have that and I can't encourage everyone even more to to do that and to to also identify what we value so often when we get stressed it's because we're trying to live inside someone else's set of values rather than our own oh, and, 100% yeah so identifying our own values and what is truly deeply important to us and then just gradually making adjustments in your own life to live according to those values is um, is is, in, is an incredible experience, and it's it's very rewarding, and it's but it also offers immense health and and a lot of peace and calm and calm and clarity. So yeah, I treasure all that. Oh, here's to some more peace and calm and clarity for us all. I love it. Uh, so there are a bucket load of um, details in the show notes today, guys, around um, where you can find Libby's work, where you can find details on the new book that's out, um, and a couple of those extra bits that I mentioned along the way, such as her um, 2014 TED Talk. It's all there in the show notes. And as I said earlier, it'd be great to hear from anyone about some of the stuff we talked about today and, and your views, what you've noticed in your own life, because this is not a conversation to be listened to. It's a conversation to take part in very much so for us to move the needle on this for women everywhere. Um doing these double shifts in life and all the the things that are coming of it that we're not loving so much. So thank you so much for joining me, Libby. Such a good chat. Thank you for the work you do. And I can't wait to to speak again soon. Thank you, Alex, so much for for everything and, and for today's chat. It was really special. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, 
You're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Oh,